Fine. This morning, I want to talk about greatness. And I'm wondering if I were to ask you if you wanted to be great, if you would even know how to answer that. And the reason is because that's a kind of a, a loaded term for us as Christians, right? Like, I don't even know if we're supposed to want to be great as Christians, you know, because it feels a little bit like, well, no, we're supposed to be humble, you know, and humility somehow seems to be different than greatness. And so it's a convoluted idea for us. And yet I have excellent news for you this morning in that Jesus gives us a very clear definition and understanding of greatness this morning. And so if you were to ask, do I want to be great? And I would say, yes, I want to be great. And then let's ask Jesus how he defines greatness. And so we're going to look at a clear picture this morning in this passage of greatness. But let me paint a picture for you before you do. Um, has anybody been to Allegretto, the uh, winery, like fancy um, five-star place? Yeah, a few of you guys have. Um, <clears throat> I've been there. I have never stayed there, um, but I've been there. I actually did a wedding there uh, a number, maybe a year or so ago. And it was the first time I had been on the site, and um, this was a couple from Orange County coming in from out of town, um, very, very small wedding in the little chapel they have there. And I literally thought, I walked on the grounds for the first time, and I literally thought, they brought Orange County to Paso. How did they, how did they do that? That's amazing. Um, this is not a commentary on Allegretto or, or other five-star resorts. But if you've been there, you can picture the scene. Um, if not, picture some other amazing, fancy five-star resort. And put yourself sitting right outside the lobby on one of those nice, cushy couch, um, patio couches. And you see a car pull up. Um, that's a 2023 all-electric Jaguar, the kind that doesn't make any noise on the pavement as it pulls up. And as this car pulls up and you're just sitting back observing the scene playing out in front of you, you see a man, middle-aged, get out of the car and he's dressed with a, a sophistication kind of uh, wardrobe, the kind that I couldn't pull off, you know, like leather shoes with no socks, like I, that doesn't work for me. Um, but just a great, a great dressed a uh, great looking guy gets out of the car, makes his way around um, to the other, to the passenger side. He opens the door for what appears to be his wife and she gets out wearing a slender pressed dress, um, very formal, very, very fitting for the occasion, um, designer glasses and a nice wide rim hat. And as they get out of the car and they make their way around the back of the car and they hand off their key fob, you notice that this couple has no pretense. They're not trying. That's just who they are, right? Like they didn't go try to put together some kind of outfit for Allegretto. It's just who they are. And as they hand off the key, they do so with just such grace and kindness. And they make their way through the courtyard and up to the lobby. And as they enter, it's as if they're just sharing dignity with the hospitality staff as they walk through the, um, the lobby. And you think back to yourself as you sit and watch this. Must be nice to be them. That right now, someone is carrying their luggage to their room for them. Someone's making them a reservation at a restaurant that you couldn't even afford the soup. And someone's opening the, right? And you think, that's a picture of greatness. They have all the resources in the world, and yet they're not spoiled by it, right? A benevolent, resourceful, kind, and generous couple, and you think, that's the kind of rich person I want to be. That's greatness. Right? They're not, they're not causing any problems. 
Okay, rewind the scene for just a second. Like back it up in your mind. Like boop, boop, boop. Like go back to the beginning. And we're going to play back the producer's cut. So you've got producer Jesus sitting next to you on the patio couch right outside um, the lobby of Allegretto now. And he's going to give you the producer's commentary. Okay, so he's sitting right next to you. And the car pulls up and the whole scene kind of plays out. You know, the people start to get out of the car and you're watching and you're seeing how things, you know, are kind of rolling. And Jesus nudges you with his elbow and he goes, hey, look over at the... Um, look over at the valet desk. And so you look over and you see a, a man in his 50s um, and another younger man right next to him, you know, both dressed with a white collared shirt that's uh, half untucked because they've been hustling, you know. And uh, you, you look and he says, watch their hands. And, and so you see, you look down at their hands and you see him Rochambeau. And the man in his 50s is a, is a dad and he's picked up a side hustle to try to pay for his oldest child who's going off to school and he's earning extra income on the weekends and he has this dad-like instinct and he knows how to win Rochambeau every single time because that's what (laughs) dads do. And so you notice as these two are Rochambeauing for the highest paying elite guests for who gets to go drive the more fun cars, the dad throws down scissors knowing he will inevitably lose to the boy's rock And the young man will jump to action and he'll run out to the car with a big grin on his face and receive that key fob along with a $100 bill in his palm for a tip. And the man will shake his head as he walks around to the trunk and pick up the luggage and he'll walk to the door and gladly open the door for the couple with no tip in hand. And Jesus says, that is a picture of human greatness. A servant of servants. Someone who knows how to win the game of serving. And while we're all dying to figure out what greatness is, Jesus was dying to display greatness. He says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And he gives us such a clear definition for a very difficult, ambiguous idea, a concept that's hard for us to get our mind around. He says, let me just paint this picture for you. Let me make this very clear and make it very simple. Whoever among you wants to be great must be your servant. That's what greatness is. It's service. And it becomes very simple in this passage. So let me read for you Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start reading in verse 17. Let me pray as we read. Father, show us what your all about here. Correct our mind and our vision towards greatness, if necessary, or reinforce the truth in believing that greatness is service this morning through your word. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 says, And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something, and he said, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus sets up this scene with a very clear, distinct mission that he's about to walk. So he, he gives us this kind of premise by presenting his great mission. So he says, we want to talk about greatness. In fact, we're going to talk about greatness when this woman comes and entertains this conversation with me. But in order to talk about greatness, I need to remind you of the great Mission, And so he starts there. The critical premise for this conversation is uh, on greatness because Jesus is about to endure the hardest and most painful thing that any human has ever endured in order to achieve true greatness. And this is a reality check for Peter and for James and John. Remember Peter's comment from a couple weeks ago where he said, See, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What are we going to get? Right? We want to be great, too. And it's also corrective in terms of what's about to take place between Jesus and James and John's mother. And so he's using the opportunity to instruct them. But in order to do so, he needs to outline and remind them of his mission. Because his mission is going to be very painful. And his mission is going to look countercultural to the definition of greatness. And so first he says the Son of Man is going to be delivered up to Jerusalem. Go up to Jerusalem. He's going to be delivered. He uses this word delivered twice. First he's going to be delivered to the Jews. Then he's going to be delivered to the Romans. And he uses the same word both times. It's the Greek word paradidomai, which is a term that literally means surrender. So this is not a defeat. It's as not as if Jesus is going to Jerusalem to be captured and defeated. No, he's going to Jerusalem to hand over his life, which is an important concept in the definition of greatness, that he would surrender, hand over willingly, exchange or transfer his life for another. And notice it's here in Jerusalem, which is really interesting if you think about the context of the city of David, Jerusalem, literally bears the name of Jesus' ancestors. His great, 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 great grandfather, David. The city of David, the city of Jesus. Jesus, the heir of the city, will be the place where he is delivered over, where he surrenders his life over, and ultimately to be condemned. So he's delivered, he's condemned, Notice it was the high priests and the scribes that condemned Jesus, not the law. It wasn't Roman law because they couldn't. In fact, they released him twice. We don't have any fault in this man. There's nothing he's done against the law. The only thing Jesus actually did that was worthy of condemnation is what they called blasphemy because he claimed to be the son of God. 
condemned for his very identity. In fact, for that claim, all he did was point it back to them. They said, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, you said it, not me. And that is what they condemned him with as far as claiming to be the son of God. And so Jesus, we see, has his identity fixed on his path to greatness, understanding completely, confidently who he was. And greatness, in Jesus' mind, requires certainty, security in who you are. Don't question that. Because the mockery, then we see Jesus delivered, condemned, and mocked. The mockery will target the very identity of Christ. If you are the Christ, they'll say, tell us who spit on you. If you are the Christ, come down from there. They target his identity. And he was mocked. In fact, mockery of identity is at the center of Peter's own failure. Just a few chapters after this, where we see Peter being challenged in the courtyard following the arrest of Jesus. And they say, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? One of those disciples? No, I'm not, he says. He denies it. Wait, aren't you one of those guys from Galilee? No. They say, your accent betrays you. We know who you are. It's his identity. That's mocked. But Jesus endures the condemnation, endures the mockery. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before them, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, mocking his very identity on his path to greatness. Doesn't much look like a path of greatness. It's getting worse and worse until the point where now he's flogged. So Jesus says, I'll be delivered, I'll be condemned, I'll be mocked, and then I'll be flogged. And it's here that he literally takes a whipping how is that a path to greatness? Now, you would argue, well, you know, to be great, you got to be beat up a little bit because it makes you stronger. No, the whipping, the flogging of Jesus was not in order to make him stronger. It wasn't as if Jesus needed a character-building corrective moment. It was a literal whipping that was going to lead to his ultimate death. The point is that Jesus submitted himself, being delivered, surrendered himself to be used, mocked, beaten, whipped to the point of death. Jesus' path to greatness leads him to this ultimate step of death. He will be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And we get to this final point in his little introduction here where he says the Son of Man will be crucified And you realize that this is the antithesis of human greatness, being killed. How could you be great if you're dead? That's how Rome saw it. Some great revolutionary, he's dead. That's how Caiaphas saw it. Not much left of Jesus and all his followers. All this talk about greatness sure didn't amount to very much. Now all we have is a few lonely men and some weeping women. That's great. 
But the, the mission, as we know it, was accomplished. And Jesus' path to greatness was secure. His plan was fulfilled. And we'll come back to the significance of Christ's death in a few minutes. But before then, I want to just finish his little intro here. So Jesus' introduction to the conversation is that he would be handed over. He would be mocked. He would be flogged. He would be crucified. And he would be raised on the third day. And the final path to greatness is the resurrection, which is the most dramatic and climactic moment in all of the Gospels, in really all of history. It's the reason why we built an entire church calendar around this day, this Easter Sunday. The liturgical calendar focuses on this moment when Jesus Christ did exactly what he said he was going to do. And he was killed, yes, but he was raised from the dead, ultimately conquering and defeating death on a path to greatness. And so if anyone's going to predict their death and then allow for himself to be mocked, flogged, crucified, and then rise himself back from the dead, then he has earned the permission and the right for us to sit here this morning and listen intently at his words and ask, how do you define greatness? We better listen to the words of Jesus and how he defines it. And so then we get to the center of our text here with this great request. With that as a premise, with Jesus' own mission outlined, here's what he will do and endure. And then we see this mother's great request. In verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to them with their sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something and he said, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Now, before you're too hard on this woman, remember who this is. Remember what she's endured. This is the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John. And remember just a few short chapters earlier, what took place in this family's life imploded her home. Okay, so she has two boys and she has a husband and her husband runs a fishing business. He's down there working one day with his two co-workers, with his apprentice. And this man, Jesus from Nazareth, comes walking by and says, Hey, you, James, John, won't you come follow me? And they leave their father Zebedee on the dock and he's standing there, nets in hand, going, Uh, boys, the fish... We still have to clean them, sell them, guess I'm on my own. And he goes home and explains this to his wife. They did what? Where did they go? I don't know. You didn't ask? No, I didn't ask. Well, when are they coming back? I don't know if they're coming back. What do you mean you don't know if they're coming back? Well, he just left. They just, he said, come and they went. And this poor woman has had her world decimated. Her boys are gone. Her husband's business is floundering. And now she's trying to make sense of life. And she starts to get some comments, some news back from her sons, from James and John. And starts to get hint that these are some special boys. She knew they were special. But she starts to hear from other people like, hey, Jesus is giving a lot of attention to James and to John. And James come home and he goes, Mom, I'm the favorite one. I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. And James is like, stop and he elbows him. You and Peter think you're so cool. So they're like bantering about all this intimate time they're having with Jesus. Remember, you guys, this is John, James, the James in the Bible, the John in the Bible. This isn't just a couple of random boys. This is a guy that wrote the gospel of John. She goes, I think, 
I think they're special. More than that, she had this figured out. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that was sent by God, the revolutionary. The one we read about in Daniel, he's going to come in like a raging, like, terror and destroy all the bad guys in the world and he's going to come on a throne and there's going to be horses and it's going to be amazing she understood she gets it and she's like maybe maybe my boys are going to be great maybe my boys are going to put our family name on the map I'm going to go ask Jesus could you blame her no so she goes and says Jesus maybe just you know put him up on the on the front, you know, the, the right and the left. And he goes, lady, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink my cup? And he looks to James and John and they're like, yeah. What she said, the, the throne thing. And then he looks and he says, okay, you're going to drink my cup. You will be delivered you will be condemned, you will be mocked, flogged, crucified, and risen. See, he outlined the cup. He told us what the great cup was before the great request so he could correct the definition of greatness in this hopeful mother's eyes. He says, you will, in fact, drink the cup. The cup of Jesus was a cup of suffering. It was a cup of servanthood. But it was, in fact, a cup of greatness. And Jesus was serious because James, in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, became the first martyr following the death of Jesus Christ. The first martyr for his faith. It says in Romans 12, verse 1, At that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James drank the cup of suffering of Jesus. He followed the path of greatness to a T. And while John was spared for many more years, don't underestimate his pain in drinking the cup. Consider the grief that John lived with for the rest of his life, having lost maybe his most trusted friend, his ministry, his business partner, and none of these boys had experienced death like this yet. Sure, they witnessed the crucifixion of Christ that was followed by a resurrection. But none of them had been killed until James. And I assume John had to go back up from Jerusalem at some point, walking to Galilee, and walk through the front door of his childhood home, and greet his father, Zebedee, and his beloved mother. And as they looked on his tear-stained face, they would know instantly something is wrong. James is gone. And these two boys fulfilled their mother's request. They drank the cup. James suffered and died. John suffered and lived. In fact, he lived through the death of all his other friends. All the other disciples would die at the hands of persecutors. John would not. He watched them all 
This was his great cup. So we see this path to greatness that Jesus presents to us as a very counterintuitive cup. It's descent. It's not ascent. It's getting harder, not easier. It's more resistance, not less. Until we get to this point in Jesus' teaching where he introduces the great death. And he comes back full circle from his introduction. And he finishes where he started. And he says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's the great death of Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate path to greatness. Demonstration of true and great love. And I I so appreciate the words that John pens. 50 years later, when he's recording John's gospel, he's writing down the story and the events in the life of Jesus, and he recalls these words that Jesus spoke. And in John 15, 13, he writes, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I think John understood that. I think it hit home. That's being great. That's laying your life down for your friends. And for John, it wasn't to lay his physical life down and to be killed. It was to learn how to lay his life down for his friends every single day. Again and again and again. Jesus' path to greatness was to die. And our path of greatness is to die to ourself. The way that Paul describes it in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, he says, We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in the newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And here we see, as clear as day, an outline to the path of greatness. While we're all trying to figure out how to become great, Jesus is dying to become great. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And it becomes very clear that as good as it might feel for you and I to pull into a five-star resort and get out of the car and have someone take our bags and someone make a reservation for us and someone park our car, Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not, that's not great. Great is getting down on your knees and your hands and scrubbing the floor when no one else wants to do it. Great is giving the opportunity to someone when you know you need it. You're handing it off. Greatness is leaving the better paying jobs to others. Taking the tasks that no one else wants. That's the path to greatness. Very clear. Greatness is rochambeauing for the dish towel. It's fighting over the backseat of the car instead of calling shotgun. You know who I'm talking about. It's racing to change the diaper instead of calling, not it, (laughs) right? Like, not it, not my turn. What if our homes, what what if our relationships with our siblings, our 
Our relationships with our spouses and our coworkers and our neighbors involved more fighting over who gets to do the hard tasks than trying to take the position or the opportunity of prominence, than trying to take the path of least resistance. Philippians 2 is so hard, so clear. Consider others as more significant than yourselves. So difficult. What it looks like in my home oftentimes is a pile of laundry on the floor in our bedroom. And I come in and I have all of the ways to justify that pile of laundry not getting folded in the world. So if you want a justification, I will give it to you. I have all the things. It goes from like, I don't fold them correctly, so I wouldn't want to mess up the, you know, project to I'll probably lose something or mismatch a sock or my wife probably finds joy in folding laundry. I think I'll leave it to her. I don't want to rob her the privilege, right? Or my favorite one is that I made a vow. I made a lot of vows, like a lot of promises about love and faithfulness and all those kind of things. But I made a vow when we were married that I would never do my wife's laundry because she did not want me to screw it up, you know, like the color thing. Um, And so I'm using that one. I'm still using that one. Like, oh, no, you told me not to. I don't. (laughs) Wouldn't Wouldn't it be a surprise if your roommate or your spouse came home and found you doing the very thing that you hate to do or you beat them to the thing that they hate to do. When we were this past winter, when we were kind of running low on firewood, um, we, we uh, burned a wood-burning stove in our house to heat the um, house during the winter and um, we were kind of running low and uh, it was kind of later in the spring, you know, we had like a long winter and stuff. I came home from church and usually my family beats me home from church, you know, because I stay here a long time. And, um, and I couldn't find Cheryl and so I asked the kids, hey, where's mom, you know? Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe she's, you know, maybe she ran to the store. Nope, car's still here. Uh, maybe she's in the back, you know, nope, not in the back of the house. I can't find her night. And I hear like a low hum. I think there's like a, there's a noise. I peek my head out the door and the log splitter is running back behind the house. And Cheryl's sitting there full, like full blown, like working gloves, sweating on her forehead, just like cranking, like stacking firewood, you know. And I was like, what the heck? You're stacking fire, you're splitting fire. And she's like, ah, I know we were running. I just figured you'd probably want to take a nap or hang out in a rest or whatever. It's like beating each other to those little tasks is what Jesus says is the path to greatness. What if in our homes we arm wrestled over the thing that nobody wanted to do? It's the path to greatness. The greatest among you must be your servant. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful that when when you taught this, you had a living example of your life to draw from. That you outlined your path, you reinforced the teaching, and you set a perfect example of what true sacrifice and servanthood looks like. So Lord, teach us to be more like you. In your name I pray, amen.